Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Hello and welcome to this week's programme. We've got some some good items again on this week's programme. Uh, you were at the, the, the launch of the province label and the stamps with a very special guest and famous fella from one of my favourite childhood programmes, Blue Peter. That's right. Chris Collins was a, a very exciting person to to speak with, and the children absolutely loved him when he went to speak to them at Peelcloth Workers School. And what a great message he was putting across! Also, to grow home homegrown vegetables, how to plant things, and an importance of agriculture and horticulture in our places where we live. Yeah, and them stamps that were launched, and Nicola Dixon done a fabulous job designing them, didn't she? She's absolutely wonderful. The colours that she used in the in the stamps were so vibrant, and the children loved them when they were going around the school. It's, it's just such a great idea celebrating everything that's Manx. Yeah, and the Food Provenance label's been launched. A very important issue here on the Isle of Man. It's nice now that people can trust a symbol that represents everything that is Manx and the ingredients are 100% Manx and um, you know exactly where your food has come from. Yeah, and uh, you spoke to some of the people, including the Minister, Howard Quayle, the Chief Minister. I caught up with the Minister for DEFA, Geoffrey Boot, had a good conversation with him about the province uh, launch of the labels and also uh, a management committee that's been set up to amalgamate in a way the queen and king scallop fishing industry on the isle of man and also a chat with them about his recent trip to the channel islands manx radio's countryside is brought to you by nfu mutual well it's been another busy and exciting time for the promotion of Manx produce, Kerry, hasn't it? It certainly has. The new development with the provenance label has finally come to the fore and I went along to the Bath and Bottle for its launch and caught up with some of the people in attendance. Chief Minister, this has been something very close to your heart here today at Bath and Bottle, a provenance label. It certainly is. I know in, back in 2004 we set up a meeting and a committee in the Manx National Farmers Union and we founded the I Love Manx campaign to try and raise the awareness of the excellent produce that we have on the Isle of Man. People like John Kenick was on the committee, myself and a number of others and I'm just delighted to see what a professional slick marketing tool it's become now. It it really has moved on and and real credit to everyone but it's really important that when you you set up a, a a, a, a fantastic marketing product that people know that when they buy it that they're really getting a Manx product. It's not something that's been imported and sold under, under the, the Manx, the good Manx name. So I'm delighted we've got a provenance label. Yeah, and also being a farmer previous to your position now, you know how hard these people work to get this produce to the fore. I do and I think it's, it's been disgraceful when you hear sometimes of a product being sold as non-Manx when you know the hard work that people have put in. The margins are tight, they're not making a fortune and, and therefore this hard work that they've done and the product that they've produced should be protected and I'm absolutely delighted that we've managed to achieve that under, I suppose, my watch as Chief Minister. Andrew Lees, it's been a very successful afternoon here at Bath & Bottle for the Provenance Label launch. It certainly has. I mean, it's over a year's worth of work has gone forward in terms of the Provenance Label, talking to the producers, talking to the consumers to get actually the final label uh, looked at. We've taken all the feedback and hopefully we've got a label that sort of uh, celebrates the provenance of Isle of Man. The label's obviously very important. It's to show that the 
product is made in the Isle of Man, it's produced in the Isle of Man, the ingredients? Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it, there are two. There's product of, which basically the products are sort of grown, reared and processed on the Isle of Man. You know, so you're talking meat, you're talking dairy. We're also talking in terms of things such as honey. You've got to have 100% Manx honey to qualify the label. And then we've got made in, and the made in is around that um, if it's been processed on the Isle of Man, you know, we talk about things such as coffee. We can't grow coffee on the Isle of Man. But um, if you process coffee, on the Isle of Man and package it, so then you can use the uh, made-in label as well. So we're trying to have a clear distinction between both sets of products and both sets of products being produced on the Isle of Man. Not across, not anywhere else in the world, but on this Isle of Man. This is a symbol that consumers can trust. Yes, absolutely. There's a symbol. We have a set of rules. The rules have been uh, gone through, try, I mean, trying to break the rules to see if we can, and we're confident that we, the, uh, the label that's, going to, that's been launched today can be trusted. And we want feedback. If people are missing using the label then let us know because the whole thing around it, it this is a trust this has got to be a credible scheme and it's got to be a trustworthy scheme that the consumer trusts that label and that product is actually Manx. Because it's a big thing now people need reassurance about food miles traceability of the produce the meat the dairy this is essential nowadays. It absolutely is it, people want to know where their food has come from they want to know if uh, how it's been reared how it's been grown how it's been looked after and it's more and more important now with regards to the food miles that at least we have something we can actually say this has been produced on the Isle of Man it's, it's come within 10-20 miles of, of where you're probably buying it you'll probably ever be able to tell who's actually produced it as well There's an ever increasing range of, of produce as the new food guide says today Yeah I mean the new food guide has gone from 59 it's now you know it's doubled in, in, in the 6th edition and it continues to go more and more and more it says there are more and more products coming through I mean even this week we're talking to uh, businesses that are launching brand new products that, which we haven't seen on the Isle of Man before but There's such an incentive to do it the Countryfile just recently declared the Isle of Man as a foodie destination. This is a, a lovely thing to have for the island. It absolutely is. I mean, it, it is becoming a foodie destination. Only when you start sort of questioning what's actually available do you see how wide a range. You can get a full Christmas dinner. You can get, you can get a full Sunday lunch. I mean, there's nothing we produce that you can't actually get here. So now customers can go into many shops now and see this symbol. It'll stand out from the crowd. Yeah, over the next year or so, the label will actually become more and more products. More and more products. Part of what we don't want to do is to actually say everybody gets rid of the packaging and puts a new label on. That's not environmentally friendly. We have a website which is IOM Food and Drink where you'll have a definitive list of products that are Art Manx and over time as, as producers change the packaging the label goes on. That was Andrew Lees, the Food Development Officer from DEFA and Chief Minister Howard Quayle. Now staying on the subject of the Food Province label, I caught up with the Minister for DEFA, Geoffrey Boot. It's gone through a lot of research and trial with third parties, uh, interested parties, to make sure that we, we get a label that is uniquely identifiable with the Isle of Man. I think we've achieved that, but bearing in mind it's got to be very small, sits on packaging and there's competition for space on packaging, uh, I think it will achieve that. And we're doing a lot of good stuff on the Isle of Man uh, with our food, uh, the Isle of Man creameries, uh, our grass-fed cattle, sheep with good provenance, disease-free. So we're building on that with this provenance label so that people will know what they're buying is actually produced on the Isle of Man. Is it one of these ways of um, sort of getting rid of the three legs of man but then the little print saying uh, produce from... Mozambique? Uh, well, <laughs> I, 
I'm hoping that uh, the little provenance label, which we can't show on radio for obvious reasons, uh, but I think uh, listeners will probably uh, see it very shortly uh, in the newspaper. It brands the island with with, with an Isle of Man, picture of the Isle of Man, and uh, it is specifically identifiable to the Isle of Man. And uh, I, I think it's a good compromise in design, size, and what we're trying to achieve. So this it's all going forward, I suppose, because it has been a, a hot tot topic for a few years there hasn't it well yes it's part of the the food strategy you know we're trying to uh, increase the gdp from the food sector and we're driving in in a number of ways small business development and we have a dedicated officer dealing with that as well as trying to maintain the sector as a whole and uh, in due course there will be more discussion over the future of the meat plant the pin process is complete we've had a, a considerable amount of interest we're shortly going out to formal tender and the meat plant is an integral part of maintaining a sustainable and viable agricultural sector on the island. Minister for DEFA Geoffrey Boot talking about the Isle of Man provenance label to promote the Manx produce and it wasn't the only thing that's been launched this week Kerry. No that's right the Isle of Man post office have launched a range of green man stamps which have been designed by Nicola Dixon an artist from Peel and it was to celebrate everything to do with horticulture farming and fishing heritage here on the Isle of Man. They were officially launched by former head gardener of Blue Peter Chris Collins who also attended some of the island's primary schools while he was here. To be honest with you it all kind of happened by accident because uh I left home very early, not long after my 16th birthday, and I came to the point where I thought I better do something. And I went to the careers office, like you did back then, and they said, uh, "They said, what did you want to do?" And really, the only thing I had in my mind is I wanted to work outside, because I was never very good in class. I was one of them fidgety kids. I wanted to be up up trees and stuff. And they gave me an apprentice gardener interview. Basically, I applied for it, and I became an apprentice gardener with Brighton Parks. And in those days, that was the real prestigious place to be because a lot of the old boys that are now unfortunately retired, I mean, they, they just knew the subject. I've never met gardeners as good as those since, to be honest with you. So I was very lucky to do a five-year apprenticeship with them. And then I was even more lucky to gain a place at Royal Botanic Gardens in Edinburgh. Wow. which is really like the only 14 places a year, very prestigious. And I had a, a really incredible three years there. But, and that kind of really opened the door. People think gardeners just dig holes for a living and cut the grass. <laughs> They'd have no idea. While I was there, I did a dissertation on the, this is a mouthful, a Limbe Botanic Garden Genetic and Conservation Programme. And that was, uh, in, in Limbe Botanic Garden is in Cameroon. It's the oldest botanic garden in Cameroon. There's a big uh, rainforest conservation there. So I went out and did that for six weeks. And at the end of my Edinburgh course, they offered me a 12-month contract. So I spent 12 months in Africa doing rainforest inventory work, renovating the oldest garden and living with lots of chimpanzees. <laughs> I lived with about 12 chimpanzees at one point and a baby gorilla. That three years at Edinburgh and the Africa thing really opened up and I came back to the UK and I was sitting in, a, in my local in Edinburgh and someone came in with a copy of The Scotsman and there was a little uh, advert and it said Gardener Wanted in Japan. So I put a CV in and... <laughs> Yeah, six weeks later, I was sitting on an aeroplane going to Tokyo, and I was five years in Tokyo building gardens on balconies and roofs and teaching a lot of English gardening as well, import-export English goods. and So that was a real mind-blower, yeah. That, I, was, I think I was the first... Three of us went, we were the first British gardeners to get visas, and wow. the, the other two didn't last long. It's so culturally <laughs> different. A funny story, actually, is they call you gaijin if you're Japanese, which means you're alien, and I worked in a shop with just me and 500 Japanese. I didn't know what was going on at all. And after eight weeks... Were calling me Henagaijin, which means strange alien, so I'd actually doubled it up and my eccentricity rose to the surface. So I came back from there after five years. I went to Kew Botanic Gardens for a while, then I went to a head gardener of Westminster Abbey, 
which was a really amazing job. And then I got offered a TV series in early 2000s called The Plantsman on BBC Two. One thing led to another and I got the Blue Peter gig and I um, did that for 10 years. So I was on screen for 10 years and I do lots of other media stuff. I made a big documentary with BBC Four last year. I do bits and bobs. I'm head of Hort for Garden Organic. I've got lots of fingers in pies now, yeah, yeah. Well, you really, really enjoy it, and you're so passionate. Here at Peel Cloth Worker School today, you know, the children absolutely love this little bit of gardening that yeah. you did with them. I think that everybody's a gardener underneath, you know. We did it for thousands. Of, you're a farmer, you know this. <laughs> Gardeners and farmers, that's what we were for all the time. It's only been the last 30 years we've been buying everything out of shops. And it's important we get our kids to realise where our food is sourced and why it's there and how, it, how it's grown. And I, that is, I think, a, a, an adult obligation, really. Yeah. And I just think that when you just make it fun like we did today, and you can't make passion up, I love it, and that affects the kids. And, and, and hopefully this is something they remember, you know. This is something they, when they're older, they all remember that day gardening and they want to do it with their kids. And so we're just trying to spread the message, really. And also you brought into maths and biology. Yeah. You don't always like sitting in a classroom learning it. Well, you brought it into the garden today. Yeah, well, I, I didn't like sitting in a classroom, certainly. You know, when I was in a classroom, say in maths, I struggled to follow it because I would... I'd get fidgety and bored, and I think that, that happens to a lot of kids. And, uh, and so some kids are naturally academic. They can sit in a classroom, regurgitate information and pass exams. Other kids are not. They need practical learning. So by going out into a garden, measuring a bed, planting plants along measuring, measuring runner beans as they grow, looking at insect life, doing biology. I talked a little bit about science in that, that lesson, about stomata and vascular bundles. But if you speak about it in the terms of a plant, it's a lot easier to understand because the kids have different intellect and you need to accommodate that, I think. Gardening's a great way to do that. And you also touched on, you don't have to have a big garden. You can have a window box or an old fish tank to make a rainforest. You know, it was fascinating. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think that if you watch it on the telly, you see some guy in his two acres potting around and I think it gives a false impression in London for example there's 10 million people half of them don't have gardens they just have balconies or schools which are really should be community hubs it's important that the gardening schools parents get involved because it's a way of us all talking to each other look at it this way gardening is like a social adhesive it's a, a way for us to come together and communicate and that's really underpins the whole thing as far as I'm concerned do you think Britain and the Isle of Man are doing more to help young children get involved and learn about where their produce comes from? I think we're on the road, very much so, compared to when I when I started 10, 12 years ago, there were very few gardens in primary schools, and now that pretty much they're in all primary schools. That's not just down to me, I will add, but yeah, you know, that I just like, watching the progress. We got into right up into the, the top when they, the food school plan was discussed and put in by politicians. When the politicians start listening to you, you know you're getting taken seriously. So we are progressing. I think the big frontier now is secondary schools and trying to get people to do it as a career both in farming and horticulture I think we need people to learn to me I'd argue being able to grow a crop is a, is a life skill and I think all kids should know that. Axel what did you find fascinating here today with Chris Collins? That we made a bug hotel and it was funny. And you were in the garden also and you were turning the earth over and, and taking the weeds out what did you plant today? Some ready beans. <laughs> runner beans. Oh runner beans and some other things. And Sophie, you were also helping today. You put up a string line and you planted some lettuce. My favourite part is how we were showing us like what we could do in gardens and how we could like make it look really nice and how you can help the earth. And what did you enjoy best? The bug hotel. And did you see any creepy crawlies when you were doing the garden work today? A bee and a worm. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favourite part today? Me in the string. And what did you have to hold up here today? What were the boards? Stamps. Which was your favourite stamp? The dairy one. And what was so special about these stamps? Did you know who the artist was? Nicola Dixon. And do you know where she lives? I think she lives in Peel. 
That's it. Very special to the school. She just lives down the road. Did you enjoy it, George? Yes, I did. I just enjoyed all of it. And what did you think about the stamps? Yes, they were very nice and they showed the agriculture very, very well. So did you all enjoy it today, guys? Yeah! That was former head gardener of Blue Peter and some of the children from Peel Clotherworkers School. But it really is a good promotion, though, isn't it? And the Isle of Man have been so proud. I can't say philatelists, but the, the stamps on the Isle of Man are so unique and very, very sought after by stamp collectors as well. They really are, and this range in particular are emphasising everything that's Manx, the colours that are used, the scenery that's on the stamps is absolutely beautiful. The artist Nicola Dixon has definitely captured the island's beauty. And she certainly has, and uh, of course uh, them stamps will be available, uh, so uh, go and use them and uh, get a set to keep. I've probably got a, a set, I think, from a first day cover from the early 70s. Wow. Well, I better not talk about them. <laughs> Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, while I was talking to the Minister for DEFA, Geoffrey Boot, I asked him more about the committee that set up linking the Queen Scallop and the King Scallops together. There was a board, the Queen Scallop board, that's been in existence for some time, but uh, this year particularly, or the last fishing season for King Scallops, highlighted the need for a combined board that looked for King Scallops and Queen Scallops, and as they occupy the same territory in terms of uh, seabed and many of the fishermen that fish for queen scallops fish for king scallops and the processes are the same it seems sensible to have a combined board in the past i think over recent times you've um, been keeping a close eye since you've got the ministerial job with DEFA and of course the fishery is a big part of it and there was a bit of negotiation I, I would say with the scottish over other incidents well i wouldn't call them incidents uh, <laughs> The start of the King Scallop season saw a lot of boats come in during the fine weather and in the first six days we caught over a quarter of the whole catch for the previous season. Now that What was that down to? Well, it could be down to a number of uh, factors. First of all, good weather and a lot of fishing going on. Fishing is becoming more accurate with GPS. They follow tracks so they fish the whole of the uh, seabed rather than just randomly and it could also be that the stocks are higher and I think there, there may have been a combination of the two. However that was a worry because in sustainability terms without proper scientific evidence we were very concerned that the king scallops were going to be overfished and we only have to look at what happened in 2013 with the crash in Queen Scallops uh, to see what can happen if, if, if overfishing takes place. It's been a big part of the, the fishery side of, of DEFRA on the Isle of Man in conjunction with the marine side of things to keep a close eye on the Isle of Man's coastal waters, particularly for fishing. Is that the case that it's one of the best? Well, if you're saying, uh, do we have one of the best fisheries? Well, for King Scallops and Queen Scallops, we have a good fishery, but there are other fisheries outside of our territorial waters. But I think the important thing is that the Isle of Man is a small island. We have a three-mile territorial limit, which is our own water, and we can do what we like with. And in fact, we've done very well with that in con terms of conservation zones. But the three to 12-mile limit, we have access by uh, other jurisdictions' boats, and we need to manage that. We need to keep a careful eye on it because it would be very easy to overfish the area areas that we have. Now this new committee, the Queen and the King Scallop one, uh, getting a few experienced people from 
not just the Isle of Man waters involved. We are indeed. The idea of the board is that it is inclusive and seem to be uh, multi-jurisdictional. The new chair, Dr Crozier, is from Northern Ireland. He comes with good pedigree from the Northern Irish side. Uh, He has good cross-jurisdictional credibility and has committed to work uh, in an open fashion with both producers and processors and all jurisdictions. So I think we're, we're, we're getting on board someone with a lot of experience that will be very useful to us. But in addition to that, we're replacing some of the old members with newer members with some Queen and King Scollop experience, but they are not all from within the Isle of Man. We need to be seen to be fair to the other jurisdictions, and the idea of this board is to give me and my department advice based on the processes and producers as well as the environmental side and the conservation side when we're looking at sustainability. That is combined with the research that we're having done with Bangor University, which is ongoing in terms of stock assessments, etc. So it's like a sort of barter system where you're getting information from a lot of different people with coastal waters to help yourselves. And and maybe you can pass some of your knowledge and and the work that the Isle of Man has undertaken with marine nature reserves. We like to share our work. um, And I think... From what I understand, talking to people within the industry and also on the conservation side, we are doing a lot of work that other jurisdictions aren't doing. And we're happy to share that work because I think we all need to work together. We're a small part of the Pan-Irish Sea. And the Pan-Irish Sea is where a lot of our recruitment, in other words, where the spawn for scallops comes from so it's in everyone's interest that the whole of the Irish Sea is managed in a sustainable way and this board along with the fisheries management agreement and various other agreements we have with other jurisdictions enable us to do this I believe we are one of the most open jurisdictions and I I like to think that the other jurisdictions will and do uh, share the information and research that they carry out but also um, while I've got you here you've been away on uh I can say a business trip for government. Well, it it was indeed a business trip. I attended the Environment Ministerial Meeting in Alderney for the Overseas Territories and Crown Dependencies. And this was an environment meeting that was discussing the problems and solutions and strategies in many of the jurisdictions. In fact, I think 11 jurisdictions overall attended. And it was a very informative uh, meeting ministers or ministerial equivalents attended but it gave us an opportunity to to share the information and uh, look for common approaches where we can. How do we compare with others with regard global warming and carbon footprints? I'm happy to report that I came back encouraged. I was surprised at uh, the progress that we have made and are making. We have a climate change strategy related to uh, CO2 emissions uh, targets and we're signed up to most of the good stuff. The Crown dependencies in general seem to be ahead of the overseas territories who to a certain extent rely on UK and EU funding whereas we fund ourselves and we also determine uh, where we go with the policy that we have and I think in general terms we are following best practice and well ahead of the game. What's Are some of them doing different that maybe we could incorporate in the Isle of Man? Well, we get criticism, and I understand that from lobby groups like Friends of the Earth, that we're we're not green enough and our CO2 emissions, well, the programme for government is realistic. They won't reduce 
we will maintain them for the next five years because we have a gas turbine power station. Now that's 10 years old and that seems like old technology compared to renewables. But for instance, talking to the Gibraltars, they are just about to replace oil-fired diesel generators with gas turbines as they think that is progress. Well, it is progress for them, but for us, that seems like history. Yeah, we've had them a while, haven't we? We have indeed, (laughs) and now the pressure is on to come up with more renewable energy. The realism that we have on the Isle of Man is that we've got a power station uh, that we paid for, and uh, we've got a a large amount of debt hanging (laughs) hanging around that, and obviously that needs to work through its life before we start bringing in lots more green energy. But another aspect, for instance, sewage plants. I I had questions uh, in the Keys just recently about bathing water quality. Well, I was absolutely amazed to find that Gibraltar, Guernsey and Alderney have all got Irish schemes to pump the muck from one end of the island to the other? They haven't got any schemes at all. (laughs) The muck just runs straight out to sea, uh, long sea outfalls. Well, we still have some of those, and I'm not saying we're perfect, but at least we are committed within the programme to government uh, within the next five years to cure that problem and have sewage treatment all the way around the island. So, you know, we're ahead of the game on that one, and it sounds like uh, we're doing okay in the great scheme of things. In the great scheme of things, I, I think we are. And uh, in, in our farming strategy, where we're, we're looking at the way we focus uh, ADS, that's uh, farm subsidies and uh, various other aspects of food production. People moan about the subsidies for farmers, but at the end of the day, it's not wasted by the sounds of things, is it? Because it, it is encouraging the Isle of Man landscape to be more environmental friendly in lots of ways well it's interesting at the meeting we were talking about biodiversity and the way the environment or the the land looks and the visual aspect and there's no doubt about it that if you go back and look at the way the Isle of Man looks and has looked for quite a long time it's down to the custodians of the land and that is our farmers and at the moment to compete on the world stage or with the UK, an element of subsidy is required. Now, how we focus that in terms of production or environmental matters is is up for discussion. But that money is, is circular money. When those grants go out, they generally support local businesses. And if we withdrew those subsidies, I think we would end up in a situation, a poor situation, where a lot of farmers may go out of business and then we may end up with larger scale ranch type farming that doesn't suit the appearance or the biodiversity of the Isle of Man. A lot of people say it's going that way at the moment. In some respects, uh, some farmers have, shall we say, become larger and more efficient. But I've been on the island over 30 years and to be honest, the appearance of the island has not changed that much. Although I would say that there is a lot more gorse hedging around than there used to be. But uh, the patchwork of fields and the the character of the Isle of Man is still definitively there. And that's because we've got a viable farming community. Uh, Some would say it could be more viable, but we still have uh, cattle, sheep and a variety of types of grazing and cropping regimes. And if you go to some of the other islands, for instance, Jersey and Guernsey, you don't see the diversity that we have here. And uh, some of the overseas territories certainly don't have that diversity. They're small islands with uh, no real economic agricultural activity at all. Minister for DEFA Geoffrey Boot telling me about his recent trip to the Channel Islands and before that talking about the committee that's been set up uh, to manage the Queen and King Scallops here on the island.
that was uh, a bit of a mouthful all them scallops together do you like scallops and uh, not particularly no and queenies and things like that no, no. I'm, I'm not a big uh, seafood person unfortunately yeah i don't but know seafood and eat it <laughs> oh yes <laughs> but it, it's nice they're all getting together and, and they've got this uh, trying to get the the sort of expertise from from different waters around the isle of man as well and, and again that trip to you know the the Channel Islands that uh, Jeffrey did as well with some of the members there to find out what they're doing uh, around their islands that maybe we can learn from because uh, I suppose some of the things are very very similar. That's it. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well. Go out and get them stamps. They're absolutely beautiful there. We heard uh, you talking to the Minister, uh, Chief Minister Howard Quayle, and also Andrew Lees, wasn't it, that was there? And uh, the former uh, head gardener for Blue Peter, Chris Collins. And uh, that good chat I had as well in the programme there. Very interesting and very enthusiastic, the Minister for DEFA, Geoffrey Boot. But that's all we've got time for for this week. We'll see you the same time next week. So from me, Simon Clark. And me, Kerry Kermit. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.